Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. I just want to say before we begin, I'm, I'm thankful for our, our liturgy. Um, honestly, and the things that we have read this morning and the prayers that we've prayed and the songs that we have sung, um, largely the sermon has been taught. Um, and I'm thankful that it's not a fly by the seat of our pants and randomly pick things. And I don't say that in a boastful way. I say it in a way that I'm just thankful to the Lord that he has um, given Jimmy and Booney wisdom and the things that they do and prepare for each week and, and laying out our liturgy. And uh, I hope you'll take it and spend some time in it throughout the week and look back on it, read these words of the songs, uh, see how they tie back into the Word of God. Uh, just thankful for that. Um, if you have your Bible this morning, you turn to Matthew 13. This morning we're going to finish up the parable section of, of teaching that we've been in in Matthew. And over the past two weeks, we've looked at uh, three of the eight parables there in Matthew 13. And this morning we're going to examine four more. Uh, and while we're, while we're talking about this, I think there's some kind of pastoral conspiracy theory going on here. Um, maybe they're trying to visibly illustrate the the idea of multiplication. Pastor Jimmy in the first week got one parable. Last week, Pastor Booney got two parables. Double it again. This week, I get four. Uh, beyond that, they stole the only two that had Jesus's actual explanation that went along with them. <laughs> um, you know, I'm joking. Uh, I did think it was a little bit humorous. And um, anyways, but seriously, I've been encouraged and challenged over the past two weeks. Um, through Pastor Jimmy and Pastor, Pastor Booney's preaching. I trust that you have also. Uh, if you missed the, the sermons, uh, go to our website. If you have the podcast app on your Apple phone, go check it out there. Um, but two weeks ago, we'll just give a little brief review. Pastor Jimmy uh, helped us understand what a parable is. And a parable is a, it's a practical story that the original audience uh, should have been able to relate, relate to and somewhat understand. Um, and parables are typically a comparison of things. You'll oftentimes hear they are like or they are as. They're comparing things for the purpose of illustrating a spiritual truth. We also asked the question in the first week, uh, why, why does Jesus even speak in parables? Why not go ahead and get right to the point and just tell us, tell Israel, tell the crowds, tell the disciples the primary truth that you want to communicate? And well, part of it was that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, and we read that last uh, two weeks ago from Isaiah 6 and from Psalm 78. And these parables, they have, um, they're meant to have two different effects on two different groups. They, they both, if you'll remember, they both conceal and reveal. Um, the parables had a concealing effect for those who were rejecting Christ as the Messiah. Think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other Jewish leaders uh, remember we read in verse 11 of Matthew 13 that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven were not revealed to them, had not been given to them. Um, so those who would deny the obvious that Christ was the Messiah, um, the things of the kingdom of the heaven were um, concealed. They wouldn't listen, they wouldn't hear, their hearts would be dull, their ears would be shut, and their eyes would be closed. Yet for another group, Jesus' disciples um, and maybe some that were in the crowd, those who did recognize and accept Jesus as the promised Messiah, uh, these parables had a revealing effect on them. Uh, Jesus told them to you, it has been given uh, to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So 
kind of opposite. They did listen and they did understand. Um, their eyes were open and their ears uh, were open and, and they saw the truth of the kingdom of the heaven. They understood that the kingdom of heaven was the rule and the reign of Jesus as the Messiah King. Um, and the mystery that they were, they were revealed, it wasn't, it, the mystery wasn't that Christ was coming, that the Messiah was coming. They all knew that. The mystery is what kind of king he would be, what kind of kingdom he would bring, um, and would it be a king who would come and conquer through political rule and through military force, and, and they found out, no, it would not. It would be established um, through the Messiah who would come and lovingly sacrifice himself uh, for the sins of his people. And then be reminded, uh, the revealing of this mystery was, was by the mercy of God. It, it, the, fact that the, the fact that anyone's eyes today, then, the fact that anyone's eyes are opened to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven um, is the evidence of God's great mercy in one's life. Um, these things haven't been revealed because of one's superiority. They haven't been revealed because of one's wisdom or knowledge or their humility or their religious fervor. Um, they've been revealed because God is merciful, period. Um, so what truths did we learn through the parables from the last couple of weeks? Well, Pastor Jimmy, if you'll remember, taught through the parable of the, the soils. And in that, uh, if you'll remember, Jesus was the sower, um, he was the sower of the seed, and the seed was the message of the kingdom. And if you'll remember, those are constant. There's no deficiency in them. They do not change. Um, the variable throughout the parable was the soil, and that would be the hearts of, hearts of men. Um, and in that, uh, the message of kingdom is sown into the hearts of men, and there were four different responses that we looked at. Three of the four were um, rejecting and turning away and only one of the responses was to hear and to understand and to bear fruit. And Jimmy challenged us in a couple of areas. Um, which one are we? Are you one of those three who rejected and turned away? Or are you one who is hearing and understanding and bearing fruit? And then secondly, he challenges, are we making the connection that part of bearing fruit is indeed sowing the message of the kingdom of heaven in our community and in our world? In fact, we've, got, we've already been mentioned, but... We have a team of five OVC members that will be arriving back in Wilmington here um, tomorrow, somewhere around 10 a.m. They're going to be leaving somewhere around 5 p.m. our time tonight. It'll be 10 p.m. Ghana time, so a lot of travel ahead of them. But and they've been there in Ghana bearing fruit. They've been sowing the good news of the gospel um, in towns and villages and, and churches that need to be discipled. Um, and we're praying and they're praying that we'll continue to see um, as that seed is sown and has been sown, that it'll be cultivated, that God would cultivate and water and people would be given understanding and faith and be rooted in Christ so that they would also bear fruit and so that at the time of the harvest, uh, they'll be gathered into eternal life uh, with Christ. And Pastor Booney, uh, last week, worked through the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net. And in that, um, if you'll remember, we said there's no neutral zone. There was good seed. Um, that would be the children of God, and there were bad seed, the children of the evil one. There was no middle zone there. There was no middle ground, no neutral zone, um, either good seed or bad seed. And the fact that there is a harvest coming. Um, and at that harvest, um, when Christ returns at the end of the age, uh, he will have his angels gather out of this world. Um, those who are not his, 
Uh, They will be thrown into the lake of fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and those who are righteous will be gathered. Those who are Christ's will be gathered together, and like seeds of wheat will be glistening in the sun and shining in the kingdom of heaven um, with our triune God forever and ever and ever um, without end. And then the challenge again that Booney gave is, which are you? Are you the good seed or are you the bad seed? Are you maturing or growing? Are you being patient and allowing God to do his work and not seeking to uproot those around you who are not in Christ? But at the same time, are you being honest with people? Are you calling them out in their sin? Are you pointing them to Christ? Are you warning them of the coming judgment? Um, And why was it important to be challenged in these areas? Um, If you remember from last week, Booney quoted Augustine, um, and the quote was that those who are weeds today may be wheat uh, tomorrow. And so this kind of brings us to our text for today. And, and the parables we're going to look at today, they're going to make similar points to the previous ones, yet um, in different ways, but they're all, all connected. And I'll just remind you of the context. So Jesus is, um, a crowd is gathered, and Jesus is teaching there, and his disciples are with him, and he's um, put out on a boat, and, he, and he's teaching. He's teaching about the realities of the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom had come, that the Messiah, Jesus, the sovereign king who um, would rule and reign over all things, he was there. He had arrived. I mean, he had just taught them all the things we just reviewed, um, and now he's teaching them uh, two more truths. And if you like to take notes, I'll, I'll say these now and I'll say them again later on. But two main truths we're going to look at this morning. I mean, the first two parables, the mustard seed and, and leaven, um, there is a remarkable contrast between the beginning and the end. The kingdom of heaven would begin in this humble, hidden, almost seemingly insignificant way, uh, yet this kingdom of heaven would grow and expand to an end, a consummation that is massive and unimaginable. The second truth, um, as we look later on at the hidden treasure and the pearl, um, the kingdom of heaven, in light of its humble beginnings, um, is so joyful, I mean, excuse me, is so valuable that it will be a joyful sacrifice for you to lose everything and to gain this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, in light of its humble beginnings, is so valuable that it will be a joyful sacrifice for you to lose everything and gain this kingdom. If you're there in Matthew chapter 13, we'll begin in verse 31 this morning. The mustard seed and the leaven. He, meaning Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, 
who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we read your word and think through it, and Father, we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand. Father, my prayer in here this morning is that you through your parables would continue to reveal the nature of your kingdom to us, the nature of your son, the nature of your rule and your reign in our lives. Father, would you show us the glorious end? Father, in light of the seemingly insignificant beginning, would you help us to see the value of Christ to the extent that we are willing to give up everything joyfully to know you and to have you eternally? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at these in the order they're given this morning. We'll begin with the mustard seed. And, you know, here we have an example straight out of the garden, straight off the farm. Uh, and the first thing we notice in this parable is that the seed is sown. In other words, apart from, apart from actually planting the seed, the seed's going to remain just that. It'll be a seed. If you've ever gone to Lowe's and bought a little bag of seeds or something, they're a little dried up and in the bag, and if you leave them in that bag and they stay dry, they will remain that seed until whenever. But you place it in a little bit of soil, you water it, a little sunlight, and the seed germinates and it spreads. But the point is that the seed had to be planted. Jesus reminds us of that himself in John 12, 24. Uh, he's speaking to his disciples about his coming death. And what does he say to them? He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it does what? It bears much fruit. So he was telling them that he, like a seed, had to be planted in the ground, in the tomb, so to speak, uh, in order for his kingdom to begin to grow and to multiply. And this kingdom would be like a, a grain of mustard seed. Um, here in the parable, Jesus calls it the the smallest of all seeds. Now let's not get hung up here um, on the type of seed. We know there are smaller seeds than mustard seeds. Okay, um, There were then, there are now, but uh, Jesus' point in this parable, he's not teaching a lesson in botany. He's, um, he's pointing to the mustard seed, which oftentimes in, in those days was used proverbially to help people think about the smallest thing that they could think of. Um, maybe today, if we were going to come up with a parable to help somebody think of the smallest thing we could think of, we would use quarks. Everybody knows what quarks are, right? Anybody know what a quark is? Anybody know what a proton and a neutron is? Okay, getting some heads. Okay. Protons and neutron, neutrons can be broken down into smaller things. Those would be called quarks, all right? Quarks cannot be broken down into smaller things, so they are the smallest things that we know of. Um, digress a little bit, but back to the point. Uh, Jesus is comparing the beginning of the kingdom, the beginning of this kingdom of the heaven, to the smallest thing that they could think of, this tiny mustard seed, seemingly insignificant. And then just as almost no one pays attention to a mustard seed being planted, uh, very few 
notice the start of the kingdom of heaven. Its beginning was humble and small and hidden and seemingly insignificant. Um, let's consider how small and insignificant it seemed. Uh, think about when the Messiah came. Uh, the intellectual elite, the Jewish leaders, they did not recognize his arrival, despite their vast knowledge of scriptures. Um, it was so small that you know, next week we're going to read about Jesus when he returned to his hometown. And what do we know when he returned to his hometown? They rejected him. They rejected him at his kingdom. They rejected him as the Messiah. Why? Because they thought he was far too unimpressive to, and came from far too humble of a beginning to, to actually be the Messiah. Um, even if you think back to the parable of the soils, I'm reminded that there were some who initially embraced Jesus as Messiah, yet um, they failed to persevere in that initial commitment. Judas was with Jesus daily, yet he betrayed him. All of these failed to see past, to see beyond the small, humble, in, seemingly insignificant beginning of the kingdom. It wasn't obvious. It was, it, to them, it was insignificant. Um, think specifically about the earthly life of Jesus. I mean, we, we see this played out. Um, it was a fairly insignificant start, or so it seemed. Born of a virgin woman in a stable, among livestock, a little town of Bethlehem. He was a carpenter. He came from a town of Nazareth. And if you'll recall, um, when speaking of Nazareth, Nathaniel basically made the statement of, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, it was a little podunk town. Um, he started out his three-year ministry with 12 very ordinary men whom he appointed as his apostles. Um, if you look in the the secular historical sources at that time, he's only mentioned in passing. Uh, the point is that his, his beginning was very quiet and very humble. Yet at the same time, in this parable, Jesus is pointing the crowds and he's pointing his disciples beyond the, the beginning of the kingdom to its end, to its consummation. And he's telling them that the kingdom is not to be judged or valued by its nearly invisible uh, beginning. If you look there in in verse 32, it says, It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. And it's large enough that the birds of the air come and make nests or they dwell in its branches. And I think this should have immediately sparked something in the minds of the crowds hearing it there, in the minds of the disciples. Um, Referring back to Ezekiel 17. In Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel, through a parable actually, is explaining to the Israelites the blessing of the covenant. And he, he points them to the fact that the Lord would plant a sprig from a cedar tree on a mountain, on the mountain height of Israel. And that this sprig would bear branches and fruit and it would become a noble cedar. Sound familiar? So from a tiny sprig to a noble tree. And in that noble tree... Um, every kind of bird, birds of every sort, would nest, would dwell in the shade of its branches. And, it, and that every tree in the field would know through that that the Lord is God. The one who made the high trees low and made the low trees high, he made the, the green trees dry up and the dried up trees uh, flourish. And, and here's the point, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is Jesus' rule and reign, 
um, will in the end be massive. Its extent will be to all nations. Its extent will be to all people groups. Its extent will be to all the corners of the globe. And it will grow to such an extent that no one can miss it. No one can deny that it was all a work of the Lord. And at the consummation of his kingdom, Christ will return. There will be a bodily resurrection. There will be a final judgment that will result in eternal punishment for those not in Christ. There will result in eternal life and blessedness in the new heavens and the new earth for those who are in Christ. Christ will rule and he will reign forevermore and he'll make all things right. He will restore all things. I can't think of a more massive ending than that. There's some diversity of thought out there among theologians about the exact order of all of that, but we'll, we'll save that eschatological discussion for another day. That's an, that's an in-depth study, but uh, the point is this. Since the humble beginning of Jesus' birth, since his ministry, since his death, since his resurrection, and since his ascension, that this kingdom that started so small has been steadily growing. The church, the visible expression of the kingdom of heaven, is now found around the world. It's found in every corner of the globe. And if it hasn't yet, it will. And we see the kingdom of heaven expanding um, in the most hostile of lands and in some of the most unexpected ways. In ways that we can't explain apart from pointing to the grace of God. And I have no doubt that our team will come back and as they have opportunity to report They'll have stories of how they were in hostile areas, um, maybe not hostile physically, but just hostile towards the gospel, hostile towards those who are indifferent even to those who would come to proclaim it. Yet they saw God move in ways that they could not explain, except by his grace. point is this, the mustard seed is well on its way to becoming the mustard plant. The kingdom of heaven is, is experiencing and will experience this unimaginable growth, disproportionate to its beginning. And the kingdom of heaven is well on its way to its consummation when all of God's children will make nests or will dwell in it eternally. There's a remarkable contrast between the beginning and the end. And this brings us to our second parable there in verse 33 told him another parable and the kingdom of heaven is like that of a woman who took and hid three measures of flour until it was all um, leavened. So here comes a parable right out of the kitchen for us. Some similarities between the two parables, um, like the mustard seed had to be planted, the, um, the yeast or the leaven had to, be, um, had to be mixed in, had to be hidden in, um, into the flour. Um, the mustard seed is small, yeast is small in comparison to the large amount of wheat that it would have been added to. Um, but there are also some slight differences there. And maybe the, maybe the easiest way to describe the differences is that um, while both of them do have internal and external implications, uh, as we look at the parable of the mustard seed, I think we see more um, about the outward expansion of the kingdom. The outward growth, we see the growth of the church and it's starts small and it's visibly large and and then I think when you get to the parable of of the leaven it's pointing more to the the inward 
transformative nature of the kingdom of heaven, showing us how the kingdom of heaven uh, it permeates um, through every aspect of our lives, and it permeates um, to every corner of, of the globe. And I actually thought in studying through this, it's interesting that Jesus use, uses leaven here. Because um, best I can tell, um, with the exception of this same parable being recorded in Luke 13, uh, anytime we hear about leaven in the scriptures, it's always a negative thing. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, there was sexual immorality in the church there in Corinth, and um, to the extent that it wouldn't even be tolerated among pagans, and they were boastful about it. And, and, and Paul warns them, he said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And he basically tells them, clean out the leaven. Clean out the leaven and, um, of malice and evil, um, and then bring back in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In Matthew 16, 6, and then also in Mark and Luke, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's, he's warning them of the, the false teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, um, and he says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then in Galatians, again, Paul speak, speaking to the church of Galatians, says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And then Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Uh, nonetheless, whether, whether pointing to something good or whether pointing to something bad, the picture of what leaven does is crystal clear here. It permeates. It starts small. Once it's mixed in, or in some of these cases, once it's left in and not removed quickly, um, it spreads undoubtedly and it spreads fully. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. It's like a hidden permeation of a small amount of leaven in flour where the kingdom of God is it's active in this world. It's not fully visible to the world um, because it's an, it's an inward beginning. It, it begins in the heart of man. It's an inward transformative work that starts in our hearts and in our souls and it, it's hidden in, it hides itself in, it works itself fully through until it has affected your thoughts, your affections, until it's affected your motives, your actions, your beliefs. Um, and then there's the leavening effect, effect of where it not only works in you, but it, it spreads through you into others. And from those others to other others, and so on and so forth. Um, but the kingdom of heaven, it's clear here, permeates inwardly and it expands outwardly. And there's really no explanation that, that makes sense. It started so insignificant. It started so seemingly hidden and invisible that it shouldn't have gotten as big as it has. And it shouldn't get any bigger than it does, yet it does because it is the work of God. That's the only explanation for it. And here's, here's why we need to understand that. If that is the only explanation for it, then it puts the power, it, it puts the rule, it puts the reign of God on full display for all to see. Nobody's looking at us, nobody's looking at evangelists, nobody's looking at pastors, nobody's looking at, at this guy who's gifted in this area. They're looking at the power and the rule and the reign of triune God 
because that's the only explanation for the expansion of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it brings glory to him because of his work. Calvin put it this way. He said, The Lord opens his reign with a feeble and despicable commencement for the express purpose that his power may be more fully illustrated by its unexpected progress. The mere fact that the kingdom of heaven and the church are continuing to exist and continuing to grow is a powerful confirmation of the truth and the worth and the value of the message of the gospel of Christ. This brings us to our last two parables this morning and our second main point for today. The second point, I'll reiterate it again. The kingdom of heaven, in light of its humble beginnings, is so valuable that it will be a joyful sacrifice for you to lose everything and gain this kingdom. Matthew 13, 44. We'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So looks like initially there is a, a treasure hidden in a field. I don't know how hidden it was because the man covered it up, but nonetheless it was hidden in a field and seems like a strange place to us to hide something. Um, we'd go to a bank and get a safe deposit box or... We would buy a safe to put in the house or go to one of the 18,000 storage units we have in the city of Wilmington. Um, maybe buy us a nice air-conditioned storage unit to put our treasure in. But in those days, they didn't have those luxuries, so uh, they hid things in fields. And it seems like this treasure may have been hidden in plain sight. And it seems that this could maybe be reinforcing and reiterating what Jesus had already told his disciples um, in, back in chapter 11, that the kingdom of heaven will remain hidden for most people, um, and it's hidden in plain sight, invisible to those who reject him and fail to see the value of his kingship and him as Messiah. Um, remember, the secrets of the kingdom had not been given to them. But in this parable, the man does find the hidden treasure. The mystery, the, uh, the secret is revealed to him. Um, and the secret of the value of that treasure was revealed to him. Um, to the point that he covers it up so he could go and sell all that he has and buy that field where the treasure was hidden. Uh, similarly, in the second parable there, the merchant um, searching for fine pearls, uh, upon discovering and finding this one pearl of greatest value, he goes and sells everything that he had so that he could buy that one pearl. Uh, there's some subtle differences in the, in the parables there. In, in one of the parables... It doesn't appear that the man was searching for the treasure. It seems that he stumbled upon it. In the other parable, the man, the merchant, he was searching for fine pearls. But the point is this, both found it, and that is most important. Um, and we see God working in, in those ways. We see those who search for him desperately, and he reveals himself to them. And we see those who seemingly could care less about him, and he does a work in their hearts and reveals himself to them to the point they're willing to sell all that they have to have him. Now, we need to be really careful here, though. Uh, this is a warning for 
I guess, interpreting parables um, that we haven't been given the full explanation for. Um, parables, again, they remember, they're not typically meant for us to press and squeeze every little detail out of them. Um, and here's why that's important. If we did that in this parable, uh, we would naturally conclude that you could buy the kingdom. We would naturally, naturally conclude that you can purchase it or barter for it or work for it. After all, we read that one man does what? He buys the field that the treasure is hidden in. Another man does what? He buys the one pearl of great value. But that is not the point in this parable. In fact, it's not a valid biblical truth. The rest of Scripture bears that out, that salvation, the, the receiving of the kingdom of heaven is holy, a work of and a gift from God. We see it in Matthew 10.8. Jesus is telling his disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven, um, that it's at hand, to go and heal the sick, to go and uh, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and he tells them, as you go and do it, receive no payment for it. Why? Because he said, you received without paying, give without paying. Give without receiving pay. And then in Mark 10, a couple of verses later, he tells us, or Mark 10, 15, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child, or does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. And what do we know about a child? Do they have any means to purchase anything? No. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. They receive these things as gifts. Um, so if we can't buy it, we can't barter for it, what's the point? The point in the parable is the surpassing value and worth of the hidden treasure. The point is the surpassing value and worth of the one great pearl of value. And those are representative of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable if it costs you all that you have to gain the kingdom, it's a good deal. It's a great deal. Um, Paul made this reality crystal clear, and we've already read it this morning, but we're going to read it again. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. We see this played out literally. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered what? The loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Okay, and be reminded from right here, it can't be bought. He said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Jesus' point in these parables is that you should value the kingdom so much that you will gladly and joyfully give up everything that you have. That's what the man did here in the parable. It says that, how, how did he go when he went to sell all things. He went in his what? He says he went in his joy. And that's the condition for gaining the kingdom of heaven. And the condition isn't about how much money you have or what power you have. It's, it's not how many things you have. It's not your intelligence. It's not your social standing. It's not your political bent. 
Um, it's not your age. It is, it's about recognizing the value of Christ. Subsequently, desiring Him, desiring His rule, desiring His reign in your life so much that in your joy, you're willing to give up everything that you have to get Him. The condition is that, as we sung earlier, that Christ is your treasure. Matthew 6.21 tells us that. We're reminded that where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. And if Christ is your treasure... Be encouraged by the words of Luke 12, 32. If Christ is your treasure, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Um, thinking through the study this week, um, we, in CDM, we, one of our stories of the saints, and, and maybe Hannah Grace and Camille and Tripp and Allie, uh, Rebecca, maybe you guys will remember our story. And we talked about Jim Elliott. Well, Jim Elliott, from, you'll, you can hear his story, see his story in the end of the Spear movie, you can read about him, but missionary who gave his life um, for the Inca Indians and he summed it up pretty well. He said this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And those were no empty words for him. He lived them out. I'm going to close with a few points of application for us from these parables. First, um, we believers, uh, you should never feel or see your work or your part in this kingdom and in this kingdom's work, no matter how small and humble and invisible it may seem, you should never see it as in, insignificant. Again, remember, we're talking about a kingdom. So there's a king, a sovereign king, a ruler, he's reigning. Um, he's ruling the kingdom according to his will and according to his purpose and through his word and through his people. Um, so God is working through his word and through his people as we work unto him. Therefore, there is no work that we do if it is for him and for his glory that is insignificant, no matter how small it is. Secondly, and maybe similar um, Don't be, don't be tricked by the lie of the world that you have to have the big platform in order to have an influence for the kingdom of heaven. Don't get me wrong, God certainly uses people that have great public platforms. You think athletes, you think of famous people, maybe evangelists that are, are pretty, you know, have a, a great following and a great audience and and a great platform to be able to spread the message uh, in a big way. But, so he certainly uses people like that. But here's the great thing about the kingdom of heaven. These folks that are on the big stage, they are no more important when it comes to influencing the world for the kingdom of heaven than you are. No more important than, he's not here this morning, but Bobby is a landscaper. Matt's not here, but no more important than Matt is managing a marina up in Sneeds Ferry. No more important than Pastor Booney installing cabinets or um, Alexis as she raises her children from home and runs her business. No more, no more important than Henry as he works in construction or Mike in electrical or Jessica as she raises her children from home or Angie as she's in the medical field. Um, 
Heather as she makes the best sandwiches in Wilmington at Jersey Mike's. <laughs> this large platform, it's no more important than the platform you have where you are, no matter how small it is. Third point, application, it's, it's only when we are mixed in, hidden in, worked through, that we can have this impact. And this should take us back to the parable last week that Mooney talked about. And the wheat and the weeds are going to be, what? They're going to be mixed together. They're going to exist together in the field, in this world. And when it comes to this world and living amongst unbelievers, my challenge, my question to you and to me is, are you mixed in? Are you worked through in your community, in your school, in your neighborhood, your sports team? Are you planning in your place of work? And then as you come in here each week, are you gathering here at OVC just for the sole purpose of maybe gaining some knowledge about God and his kingdom for yourself? Or are you seeking to worship him and gain understanding about him and his kingdom for the purpose of leaving this place this morning and, and bearing fruit and seeing his kingdom expand? Fourth point is that and we've already sung of this. Um, that's why I would encourage you to use your, use your worship guide as a personal worship study guide for you this week. Uh, treasure Christ. Make him your treasure. Believers, if he is your treasure, treasure him more. Desire him more. Unbelievers, if, if you don't know him, if he's not your treasure... Desire him. Seek after him. Be willing to give up everything you have to gain him. And you might be thinking, well, man, give up everything. That seems hard. Okay, let me ask you a question and answer it honestly. If you've read through these parables this week or if you just heard them this morning, okay, we read a parable of a man who found a treasure in a field and went and gave up everything so he could have it. We read of a merchant who found one great pearl and Went and sold everything he had so that he could have it. At any point, did you ever feel sorry for the man or for the merchant? I think if you're honest with yourself, no. It would be preposterous. We don't feel sorry for them that they had to give up everything that they had. Why? Because they understood that the value of all the earthly possessions do not compare to the heavenly possession of gaining Christ. There is no comparison so they went in joy and they did these things. So my challenge to you is this. Do you see it that way for you? Do you see his value? Do you see the value of the kingdom of heaven? Do you see the value of his rule and reign in your life to the extent that in joy you'll give everything else up? Who else would you want to rule and reign in your life? You? <laughs> Trust me, you don't. You will mess it up. It will end badly for you. You'll get it all wrong. Things may seem great now, but they won't end that way. But if you see the value of, kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, you see the value of God ruling and reigning over you and in you and for you, and you treasure him, you'll give up everything joyfully, and it will work out for your good. It will work out for his glory, no matter how painful things may seem between that time now and this time now and that time then because in the end God's going to win 
He's going to triumph over all things. His kingdom will be the only one that lasts. And in that kingdom, he will be yours and you will be his forever. And there is nothing better. There is nothing more of value. There is nothing of more worth than that. And our last point of application this morning is um, to the church collectively here at Oak Valley. Um, Treasure Christ together. Our goal has got to be seeing as many people as possible in this community come to know Christ as their treasure Um, and to join in with us in treasuring Christ. We can't be content with others not hearing about his worth and his value. We can't be content with not telling others about his worth and his value and, and then knowing that if they don't hear about it and they don't know about it, that there's coming a judgment for them, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal separation from Christ. We looked at it last week. But instead, as Oak Valley, I encourage you and challenge us Labor with joy in evangelism. Labor with joy in missions, as I'm sure that our five team members have in Ghana this past ten days. Um, Labor together with joy in discipleship, whether that be in your connect groups, or whether that be at CDM, or whether that be men's meeting together in the mornings, or or, or ladies when you get together to study. Um, Encourage one another. Enjoy to see the value of Christ, and call each other to uh, forsake the earthly possessions that are, as Paul said, counted as rubbish. Help each other to make Christ your treasure. Pray with me. Father, this morning we are thankful for you, your goodness in bringing the kingdom about and your goodness in showing us your kingdom and helping us understand the value of it through your written word and through the living word, your son. Thank you for working in us by your spirit to Reveal the secret things of your kingdom in giving us life and opening our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you and that you've removed hearts of stone and replaced those with hearts of flesh so that as the the seed is sown that it will germinate and grow and permeate through all of our thoughts and actions and beliefs and to the point that we can see nothing in this world that seems remotely valuable compared to knowing the triune God of this universe. Work in our hearts as believers. Father, for those who do not yet know you, how we beg you this morning to wake them up. Awaken their minds and their eyes and their ears. We pray that you would reveal the value of the kingdom of heaven to them. 
they leave here this morning seeing your surpassing worth and value and like they never have before be willing to give up everything to have you Father as you do that we give you the glory and honor it is your work we pray these things in the power of your spirit and in Christ's name Amen